Hi, welcome back to Atrium Talks. Hi, Bhagwan. Hi, Deepa. Bhagwan, I have a question for you. Yeah, okay. So I've interviewed a set of 100 people, you know, 70 engineers and 30 lawyers. Yeah. I'm going to pull out a random card from this sample. And I want you to tell me what are the odds that this person whose profile I described to you is a lawyer. Okay. Or, yeah. So, or an engineer. So, um, what are the odds? So, here's Raj. Okay. Raj is outgoing, extroverted. He's very motivated, very interested in politics, particularly skilled in the art of polemics okay. or argument. Okay. Right? He's, he's been on the school debating team and he's, he displays a flair for argument. He's, what a, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. What are the odds, Bhagwan, that he's a lawyer? We would say very high. Very high. 80%. 80%, right. However, remember, at the start, I told you that I've interviewed a sample yeah. of 70 engineers yeah. and 30 lawyers. So if we look at the base rate in this sample, we're actually saying that the odds that you know Raj is a lawyer is quite low. Quite low. Quite low. So you're saying of the 70 engineers. Correct. Every time I pick up a card, you have to tell me 70%. With that description. Correct. And Correct. I missed that completely. Correct. And I think what, and I did this obviously, you know, what I was doing was I was priming your prototype of a lawyer yeah. and then, you know, uh, asking you yeah. what are the odds that Raj is a lawyer. Of engineers as nerds, introverted, Correct. lawyers as extroverted, like politics. Correct. So I went there forgetting that some engineers Correct. are also. Correct. Okay. Ignoring the base rates in the population, ignoring what you talk about a lot, probabilities. Probability. So probabilities are very hard for humans to actually estimate. Correct. And, you know, just for that reason, right? So uh, this is what Kahneman and Tversky say, exactly what you said, that is very complex for us to answer this question, what are the odds that, you know, A is a lawyer? So we substitute that question with, you know, how well does A match my prototype right. of a lawyer? A picture Correct. Of a lawyer and a representativeness heuristic or bias that kicks in and answers, you know, leads us to answer exactly what you did. And remember, we spoke about this. We said, why is intuition not, not very right. reliable in not all cases? Right. And this is one place where we get it wrong. We get it wrong. And we get it wrong in many other places too. For example, we think it's safer yes. to drive than to take a flight. Correct. The availability bias. Availability. The availability bias. When you ask the question, what's the frequency of a, you know, a plane crash or a car crash, you substitute that question with, you know, how easily available that information yeah, is to you. Divine. Exactly. And, and those are rare, actually, and you don't realize that those are rare. Correct. Whereas car accidents are much more common. Much more common. The probability is much higher of dying in a car crash than in a plane crash. But the few plane crashes are so salient that they're readily available to yeah. you to draw on. And therefore, that's what you draw, you know, you draw on. Uh, you know, when you when you answer that question. And that's why you insist on looking at data. Don't just go with your prior images, your stereotypes. Look at the hard data and the reason to quantify. Correct. And keep revising those beliefs, right? And those estimates in the light of new information. Okay. So if I'm bad at guessing probabilities, my guess is it gets worse when it comes to revising probabilities. Correct. Correct. Everyone's talking about COVID, yeah. right? Let's say I get a COVID positive result. I test for it and I get a COVID positive result today. Today. Today, right? 
And the doctor tells me that the accuracy of that test is about 90%. Oh. You know, the, the chances of a false positive or a false negative are, you know, uh, 10%. 10%. Right. So that seems pretty high. Correct. So you think that, I, oh. I got a test, 90%. Oh, my God. What are the odds that I have COVID given my test is positive? Okay. It's 90%. I is think it 90%? 90%. Okay. So let's try and dissect this, right? Let's say I have a sample of 1,000 people. Yeah. Let's say the positivity rate in the population is about a percent. Okay. It's lower now. It's lower now, but let's say it's let's about say a percent, percent, right? So about 10 out of 1,000 actually have COVID. Correct. It's a very small. And 990 are safe. Safe. Right. Okay. Now we also said that the test has an accuracy of 90%, which okay. means that out of that 10, nine of them actually have, have it. And that's where I focused on. I said nine out of 10, not realizing that out of the 990, 990 also I'll get a false positive. How much? Correct. A given that the false negative and false positive rates are about 10%, 10%. out of the 990, it's also likely that 99 of them have it. Ah. Right? Right? So 99 people get positive even though they don't have it. So Correct. Are positive. So 99 plus the 9 gives me a total sample of 108. Okay. Right? And therefore, the probability that I have COVID, given that I've tested positive, positive. is the 9 divided by the 108. So 9 out of 108. Yes. And your so probability like is actually... percent Correct. Correct. So Much lower very than... Small, very small. So initial, I was freaking out. Correct. Thinking that was close to 90%. And you're saying, no, it's actually much, much, much lower. And it's important. That's why certain medical guidelines, perhaps not here, but medical guidelines in the US, as well as in the UK and other countries, urge people to take into account the positivity rate in the population when interpreting and looking at a false, you know, sorry, when looking at a positive test. And we don't do that. We don't do that. And but... we also know that not only lay people, but even experts get it wrong. Correct. Doctors get it wrong, Correct. for example. Correct. Correct. So when the doctors are talking to you and they say you have a positive, their emotions are not saying that, oh, it is rare. Correct. Their emotions are, it's a very accurate result. Correct. If there's a rare, rare disease you've been intimated about having, one in a million are getting it, and you know, you've got a positive test, you could explore so that as positive. positive. To quantify, formally, write down the odds, write down the formula. What you're talking about is a Bayesian update. Yes. Right. Yes. And in fact, there's a really interesting article, hmm. interesting paper that was written about 10, 12 years ago called Bayesian Persuasion. Okay. And it says that when you're trying to persuade people, you can take advantage of this fact. Right. In other words, I can imagine. when you're trying to persuade people, you don't have to bring them all the way right. towards what you want. You want right. to bring them just enough so that they change their mind. Correct. So for example, if there is a prosecutor who wants to convince the judge that this guy is guilty, hmm. he doesn't need to convince the judge 100%. Right. right? He right. just needs to convince the judge that the chances are more than 50% right. that this person is guilty. Right. So what this article, this article talks about is that you can order a very accurate test like a DNA test. Right. And go. Right. But you choose not to. Instead, you say, no, I'm just going to order a blood type. Right. And blood type matching is, in fact, quite common. 
even the guy who's innocent, chances that his blood type is going to match are very high. Right. So if I use an inaccurate, less accurate test, I may be able to convert the jury or the judge more towards my side. That's incredibly interesting. So this right. says... Bayesian persuasion. Bayesian persuasion. When you're trying to persuade people, don't go for the max. Hmm. Just get them enough. And this also has huge implications for elections. Tell for me how. For example, if you have diehard Democrats and diehard Republicans, don't go after them. They're not going to change their mind. What you need to do is... At the margin. People at the margin, and right. you need to change, don't need to bring them all the way. You just need to change them just enough. And the political scientists know this at all, know this really, really well. And therefore, when they campaign, they campaign only in those states, in the U.S., for example, where the conversion rate is higher. And I think the same thing happens in India as well. BJP will target people where it's likely to convert people from Congress to BJP. That makes a lot of sense. You, yeah, you use information effectively to change people's view of the world at the margin. And quantification helps. Yes. Writing down a formula with a pen and pencil or using computers is actually very helpful. Yes. I remember this also where you, you shared a paper called Pursuing with Anecdotes, I think. Ah, yes. Right? Where you said that it's, it's therefore in my interest to choose a non-expert whose preferences are aligned with mine rather than choose an expert who has an entire information set with the right answer. Right. So it works both ways, you know. When you're trying to persuade, you're not trying to be too accurate. You're trying to sort of use a little vagueness to your advantage because you just want people to change their mind. The receiver is... So this might be very useful in personal relationships. I That's... don't think I'm going to try and convince my wife all the way. I'll just convince her just enough. Sounds good. To say that, let's go and see a movie that I want to see. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's know how that works, Bhagwan. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Mm -hmm.